Chapter Twenty Eight of the Sign of Silence by William Lequeux. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Twenty Eight. Further Admissions. The secret of Digby Kemsley is still a secret, and will ever remain a secret. I recollected Mrs. Petrie uttering those words to me as that dark-faced villain, Ali, had forced my inert head down upon the table. Well, that same night, when I had begged of Edwards my love's life, I sat in his room at Scotland Yard, and there made a formal declaration of what had happened to me on that well-remembered night outside Colchester. I formally demanded the arrest of the woman, of Ali, and of the young manservant, all of whom had conspired to take my life. The clerk calmly took down my statement, which Edwards read over to me, and I duly signed it. Then, gripping his hand, I went forth into Parliament Street and took a taxi to Cromwell Road. I had not seen Frida for several days, and she was delighted at my visit. She presented a pale, frail little figure in her simple gown of pale pink ninon, cut slightly open at the neck and girdled narrow with turquoise blue. Her skirt was narrow, as was the mode, and her long white arms were bare to the shoulders. She had been curled up before the fire reading when I entered, but she jumped up with an expression of welcome upon her lips. But not until her mother had bade me good-night and discreetly withdrew did she refer to the subject which I knew obsessed her by night and by day. "'Well, Teddy,' she asked when I sat alone with her upon the pale green silk-covered couch, her little hand in mine where have you been? Why have you remained silent?' "'I've been in Brussels,' I replied, and then quite frankly I explained my quest after the impostor. She sat looking straight before her, her eyes fixed like a person in a dream. At last she spoke. "'I thought,' she said in a strained voice, "'that you would have shown greater respect for me than to do that when you knew it would place you in such great peril.' "'I have acted in your own interest, dearest,' I replied, placing my arm tenderly about her neck. "'Ah, in what manner you will never know.' "'My interests?' she echoed in despair. "'Have I not told you that on the day Digby Kemsley is arrested I intend to end my life?' And as she drew a long breath I saw in her eyes that haunted, terrified look which told me that she was driven to desperation. "'No, no,' I urged, stroking her hair with tenderness. I know all that you must suffer, Frida, but I am your friend and your protector. I will never rest until I get at the truth. Ah, revelation of the truth will alas prove my undoing, she whispered in a voice full of fear. You don't know, dear, how your relentless chase of that man is placing me in danger. But he is an adventurer, an impostor, a fugitive from justice, and he merits punishment, I cried. Ah, and if you say that, she cried wildly starting to her feet so do i so do i come calm yourself dearest i said placing my hand upon her shoulder and forcing her back into her chair you are upset to-night and i kissed her cold white lips may i ring for mallet wouldn't you like to go to your room she drew a deep sigh and with an effort repressed the tears welling in her deep-set haunted eyes yes she faltered in her emotion perhaps I had better. I, I cannot bear this strain much longer. You told me that the police did not suspect me, but, but now I know they do. A man has been watching outside the house all day for two days past. Yes, she sobbed, they will come, 
come to arrest me, but they will only find that that I cheated them. They will not come, I answered her. I happen to know more than I can tell you, Frida, I whispered. You need have no fear of arrest. But that woman Petrie, she may denounce me. She will, I know. They take no notice of such allegations at Scotland Yard. They receive too much wild correspondence, I declared. No, dearest, go to bed and rest. Rest quite assured that at present you are in no peril and further that every hour which elapses brings us nearer a solution of the tragic and tantalizing problem. "'May I ring for Malik?' I asked again, kissing her passionately upon those lips, hard and cold as marble, my heart full of sympathy for her in her tragic despair. "'Yes,' she responded faintly in a voice so low that I could hardly catch it. So I crossed and rang the bell for her maid. Then when she had kissed me good night, Looking into my eyes with a strange expression of wistfulness and left the room, I dashed across to that little table whereon the ivory-hilted knife was lying and seized the important piece of evidence so that it might not fall into Edward's hands. I held it within my fingers and, taking it across to the fireplace, examined it in the strong light. The ivory was yellow and cold, carved with the escutcheon bearing the three balls, the arms of the great house of Medici. The blade, about seven inches long, was keen, triangular, and at the point sharp as a needle. Into it the rust of centuries had eaten, though in parts it was quite bright, evidently due to recent cleaning. I was examining it for any stains that might be upon it, stains of the lifeblood of Marie Brock. But I could find none. No, they had been carefully removed, yet chemical analysis would, without doubt, reveal inevitable traces of the ghastly truth. I had my back to the door, and was still holding the deadly weapon in my hand, scrutinizing it closely, when I heard a slight movement behind me, and turning, confronted Frida, standing erect and rigid like a statue. Her face was white as death, her thin hands clenched, her haunted eyes fixed upon me. "'Ah, I see!' she cried hoarsely. "'You know, eh? You know!' "'No, I do not know, Frida.' was my deep reply, as I snatched her hand and held it in my own. I only surmised that this knife was used on that fatal night because of the unusual shape of its blade, because of the medical evidence that by such a knife Marie Brock was killed. She drew a deep breath. "'And you are taking it as evidence against me?' "'Evidence against you, darling?' I echoed in reproach. "'Do you think that I, the man who loves you, is endeavouring to convict you of a crime? No, leave matters to me. I am your friend, not your enemy. A silence fell between us. She neither answered nor did she move for some moments. Then she said in a deep, wistful tone, Ah, if I could only believe that you are. But I am, I declared vehemently. I love you, Frida, with all my soul, and I will never believe ill of you. Never, never. "'How can you do otherwise in these terrible circumstances?' she queried with a strange contraction of her brows. "'I love you, and because I love you so dearly, because you are all the world to me,' I said, pressing her to my heart, "'I will never accept what an enemy may allege, never until you are permitted to relate your own story.' I still held the weapon in my hand, 
and I saw that her eyes wandered to it. "'Ah, Teddy!' she cried with sudden emotion. "'How can I thank you sufficiently for those words? Take that horrible thing and hide it. Hide it anywhere from my eyes, for sight of it brings all the past back to me. Yet, yet I was afraid,' she went on. "'I dare not hide it lest anyone should ask what had become of it, and thus suspicions might be aroused.' ah every time i have come into this room it has haunted me i seem to see that terrible scene before my eyes how-how they but she broke off short and covering her face with both hands added after a few seconds silence ah yes take it away never let me gaze upon it again but i beg of you dear to-to preserve my secret my terrible secret and she burst into tears not a single word shall pass my lips neither shall a single soul see this night i will take it and cast it away better to the bottom of the thames to-night it shall be in a place where it can never be found so go to your room and rest assured that you darling have at least one friend myself i felt her breast heave and fall as i held her in my strong embrace then without words she raised her white tear-stained face and kissed me long and fondly afterwards she left me and in silence tottered from the room closing the door after her i still held the knife in my hand the weapon by which the terrible deed had been perpetrated what could i think what would you my reader have thought if the woman you loved stood in the same position as frida shan which god forbid I stood reflecting, gazing upon the antique poignard. Then slowly and deliberately I made up my mind, and placing the unsheathed knife in my breast pocket, I went out into the hall, put on my coat and hat, and left the house. Half an hour later I halted casually upon Westminster Bridge, and when no one was near, cast the ancient misericordia into the dark flowing waters of the river knowing that edwards and his inquisitive assistants could never recover it as evidence against my love four days later i received a letter from fremy dated from the hotel national at strasbourg stating that he had traced the fugitives from munich to the latter city but there he had lost all trace of them he believed they had gone to paris and with his chief's permission he was leaving for the french capital that night weeks passed weeks of terror and apprehension for my love and of keenest anxiety for myself the month of may went by spring with all her beauties appeared in the parks and faded in the heat and dust while the london season commenced men who were otherwise never seen in town strolled up and down st james's street and piccadilly smart women rode in the row in the morning and gave parties at night while the usual crop of charitable functions society scandals parliamentary debates and puff paragraphs in the papers about lady nobody's dances showed the gay world of london to be in full swing my mantel-shelf was well decorated with cards of invitation for nowadays the bachelor in london can have a really good time if he chooses yet i accepted few spending most of my days immersed in business in order to occupy my thoughts while my evenings i spent at cromwell road for weeks Frida had not referred to the tragedy in any way, and I had been extremely careful to avoid the subject. Yet from her pale, drawn countenance, so unlike her former self, I knew how recollection of it ever haunted her, and what dread terror had gripped her young heart. Mrs. Shan, ignorant of the truth, 
had many times expressed to me confidentially fear that her daughter was falling into a bad state of health and against frida's wishes had called in the family doctor who likewise ignorant had ordered her abroad get her out of the dullness of this road mrs shand he had said she wants change and excitement take her to some gay place on the continent dinard trouville alibane ostend some place where there is brightness and movement a few weeks there will effect a great change in her i'm certain but frida refused to leave london though i begged her to follow the doctor's advice and even offered to accompany them as far as i could gather van huffel in brussels had given up the search for the fugitives though the more i reflected upon his replies to my questions as to the real identity of marie brock the more remarkable they seemed who was she that was the great problem uppermost always in my mind frida had declared that she only knew her by that name that she knew nothing further concerning her and so frankly had she said this that i believed her yet i argued that if the death of marie brock was of such serious moment as the chief de sûreté had declared then he surely would not allow the inquiry to drop without making the most strenuous efforts to arrest those suspected of the crime but were his suspicions too directed towards frida had he i wondered been in consultation with edwards and had the latter in confidence revealed to him his own theory i held my breath each time that idea crossed my mind as it did so very often from fremy i had had several letters dated from the prefecture of police brussels but the tenor of all was the same nothing to report one thing gratified me edwards had not approached my love although i knew full well just as frida did that day after day observation was being kept upon the house in cromwell road yet perhaps only because the detective's duty demanded it at least i tried to think so still the one fact remained that after all our efforts the efforts of scotland yard of the belgian police and of my own eager inquiries a solution of the problem was as far off as ever somewhere there existed a secret a secret that as frida had declared to me was inviolable would it ever be revealed would the ghastly truth ever be laid bare the affair of harrington gardens was indeed a mystery of london as absolute and perfect an enigma of crime as had ever been placed before that committee of experts at scotland yard the council of seven even they had failed to find a solution how then could i ever hope to be successful when i thought of it i paced my lonely room in a frenzy of despair End of chapter 28 recording by tom weiss tom's audiobooks.com